recorded at the Vanamali Gita Yoga Ashram Rishikesh North India situated on the banks of the holy river Ganga at the foothills of the Himalayas this is the 15th talk in the series and is on the 14th chapter of the Srimad Bhagavad Gita it is entitled Gunatraya Vibhaga Yoga or the yoga of the division of the three gunas. Om Sri Krishnaya Paramatmane Namaha Om Sri Parthasarathe Namaha ಅಜಚುಶೋಧ್ಯಾಯಸ್ವಾಮುನಯಸ್ಮಿಧೋಗಾ ಸರ್ಗೆ ವಿಯೋಗಜಾಯಂತೆಯೇನವ್ಯದಂತಿಚಮಯೋ ಸಾಕಾಂಬ್ರಹ್ಮಮಹ್ಯೋನೇರ್ಮ್ಲೀಜಪ್ರದಿಸಂಭವಾಹಿಮಧ್ಯಮಹಾಬಾಹೋ ಸುಖಸಂಗೇನ ಪ್ರಮಾಲಸ್ಯಾವಿಜ್ಞಾನಿಭಾರತ್ಯಸುತಮ ಪ್ರಮಾ ಸಂಜಯತ್ಯುತ ಸಮಸ್ಯಾ
transcendental, supreme Brahma. The thirteenth chapter has shown us that the spirit is supreme. It is supreme knowledge, the knower of the knowledge, as well as the object of knowledge. So then, what is the meaning of liberation? Who is it that is to be liberated and from what? When all is spirit and spirit alone. The spirit is immortal, so how can it gain immortality? Liberation or immortality can never be for the body, for by its very nature it is bound and mortal. So the Indian philosopher never wasted time in trying to make immortal that which by its very nature was mortal. But the spirit again is by its very nature immortal and needs no aid to become so. So what is the meaning of mukti or liberation. To be immortal in the deeper sense is something different from the mere survival of physical death. Immortality is that supreme status in which the spirit knows itself to be superior to birth and death not conditioned by nature, immortal because never having been born, it can never die. The Atman is eternally divine and immortal, but because it identifies itself with the lower prakriti, it becomes oblivious of its essential nature. Its liberation comes with its perfection through knowledge. The first verse of this chapter thus reiterates once again the nature of the highest and supreme knowledge, knowing which the sages have liberated themselves and attained immortality, the highest state, Param Siddhim. 
Having gained this knowledge, one dons the garb of immortality, which is of my very nature, says the Lord. Mama Sadharmi. Such people go beyond the cycle of birth and death. Pralaya is the end of a cycle of eons and is the temporary disintegration of the universal form of existence. But it is only a momentary pause followed by an outburst of new creation and reconstruction in which all the manifest worlds are born again in a new creation. Our individual death can also be called a pralaya because again it is only a short rest before another birth and another outburst of activity and creativity. This round goes on until the jiva experiences its identity with the Supreme and thus comes to an end of its individual existence. Cosmic evolution proceeds from the unmoving, unknowable and unmanifest to the conscious, moving, knowable and manifest microcosm. Human evolution is a return journey from the gross physical plane of the microcosm back to the absolute. In one case, the force is centrifugal and in the other, centripetal. A knowledge of the modus operandi of the spirit in the world of nature and the constituents of nature which give rise to all the vast differences which we see is a must in the progress towards immortality. And this chapter proceeds to make these matters clear. Prakriti or primordial matter is called Mahat Brahma, which is the divine womb of creation in which the divine places the seed of consciousness from which follows the birth of all beings. We can become the divine only because we have come from him and we are one with him. We could not become immortal if we are only of mental and physical origin. All existence is a manifestation of divine existence and we ourselves are spirit of this eternal spirit. All this movement is the self-creation of that supreme spirit. As the oversoul, he casts the seed of consciousness. As the nature soul, he receives and develops the divine embryo 
into the mental and physical forms of existences. Thus the divine is at once the father and mother of all existences. What we see here are the finite forms of that infinite idea. Both spirit and nature are eternal. The jivatma which takes on this or that form in nature is also eternal. Even while seemingly bound by nature, it can become aware of its innate divinity. What is it then that gives the jivatma its apparent semblance of birth, death, and bondage. It is its identification with the modes or gunas of nature, says the Lord. The spirit associated with prakriti is the cause of the manifest universal process. Then how is it that everything and every person is not similar. When the cause is one, why should the effects be so varied? Why should one person be quiet, another talkative, and still another ambitious, and so on? It is due to the mixture of the three qualities of prakriti in the individual and in all things that the differences arise. The Lord says that everyone is a mixture of these three gunas and it is the preponderance of one guna above the others which accounts for the dissimilarities observed among people. A person in whom sattva is predominant will be contemplative. One who is hyperactive and ambitious will have a preponderance of rajas. And one who is dull and stupid will have more of tamas. All the three gunas are found in everybody. Everyone is at times contemplative, at times active, and at times dull. The preponderance of one or the other of the gunas accounts for one's particular disposition. From a combination and permutation of these three, all the differentiations in the world exist. The very meaning of the word guna gives a clue to its function. It means strand or thread. And these are the three strands which bind the jivatma and give it a semblance of bondage. So the Lord says, Guna dedan adhidyatrim dehi deha samudhavan Janma Mritti Jada Dukhe Vimukto Mamardamish Ashmide. 
the jivatma having transcended the three gunas which give rise to the body becomes free from birth death old age and the sorrows of life and becomes eligible for immortality so the way to liberation is to separate oneself from identification with the three gunas in the second chapter itself the lord had asked arjuna to disassociate himself from these modes of nature nistray gunyo bhavarjuna but before we can do so it is necessary to understand what these three gunas are the gunas of nature though they exist and make up the whole of physical and mental nature are not quantitative or physical but qualitative and psychological since the connecting link between spirit and matter has to be qualitative and psychological modern physics has accustomed us to a different view of nature because the first thing that strikes us in nature is the physical or quantitative aspect of her workings but even the scientists have now discovered that matter is not made up of material substance but is merely a dance of energy energy in motion is matter it is not made up of solid blocks of physical substances 3000 years before this astounding discovery lord krishna had explained to arjuna the qualitative strands of nature which made up the entire physical and mental universe the whole quantitative action of nature has been cast from three qualitative modes or modes of nature called sattva rajas and tamas in the gita these modes are described only by their psychological effects on man or incidentally on food etc actually they are the products of ignorance and have no existence from the standpoint of the absolute just as the shadow has no reality in relation to light scientifically speaking we can define the three modes as the inseparable powers of equilibrium or sattva kinesis or rajas and inertia or tamas symbolically indian religion attributes each of these qualities to one member of the cosmic trinity 
Sattva to the preserver Vishnu, Rajas to the creator Brahma, and Tamas to the destroyer Shiva. The three qualities influence the Jivatma in three different ways. Tamas makes him dull and inactive, Rajas makes him passionate and selfishly active, and Sattva makes him pure and harmoniously active. The infinite spirit, when it involves itself in lower nature, becomes bound by its attachment to these three modes of nature. Sattva binds by attachment to happiness. Rajas binds by attachment to action. And Tamas binds by attachment to inaction. The three gunas are inextricably intertwined in all of cosmic existence. Tamas, the principle of inertia, is a dull ignorance which suffers all the shocks of life without making any effort at mastering them and would eventually lead to a dispersion of all substance and energy. But it is driven by the kinetic power of Rajas and balanced by the preserving principle of Sattva. Rajas is a type of half-conscious desire or seeking, which is the very nature of existence. By itself, it would lead to an unstable life of ceaseless activity without any settled result. On the opposite side, it is met with the disintegrating power of tamas, with death, decay, and inertia. And in between, it is harmonized and sustained by the power of sattva, which is subconscious in the lower forms of existence, but becomes more and more apparent with the emergence of the mind. This is the picture of a world governed by the mutually limiting play of the three gunas. The Gita applies this generalized analysis of the universal energy to the psychological nature of man in relation to his bondage to lower nature in order to help him shake off the shackles composed by these modes and attain to the purity of his essential divinity. When the mind is flooded with light and knowledge, as if the closed doors of a house had been opened up and flooded 
with sunshine, when the intelligence is bright, the senses sharpen, the whole mentality satisfied and filled with brightness, one should know that there is an upri uprising of the Satvaguna. When the mind is full of unrest and fever and lust and greed and excitement, then there is an uprising of Rajas. Rajas has for its essence attraction and repulsion, liking and longing. Desire is its progeny. It is the force of desire which motivates all personal initiative of action. Thomas, on the other hand, is born of inertia and ignorance, and its fruits are laziness and ignorance. The darkness of Thomas causes delusion and obscures knowledge. In this way, it is the opposite of sattva. But it is also the opposite of rajas, for it brings about negligence in action as well as laziness. The essence of rajas is pravritti or action, and the essence of tamas is apravritti or inaction. The essence of sattva is nivritti or repose. It must be understood that this is the repose of wisdom and not the sloth of laziness. Tamas is the inertia of ignorance as well as the inertia of inaction, a double negative. These three qualities in nature are present in all human beings. None can be said to be devoid of any one of them. All men have the rajasic impulse of desire and activity and the sattvic touch of light and happiness. And we all have our share of tamasic ignorance and laziness. But these qualities are not constant in their action and combinations. Now one predominates and now another. Only by a general predominance of one or the other of these qualities can a man be said to be either sattvic or rajasic or tamasic? But this can never be an exclusive description. The three together bind the imperishable Atman to the perishable body, says the Lord. How does this happen? It happens because of the mind's attachment to the results of the gunas. We can understand how rajas 
and tamas could bind us. But how can sattva bind? The rajasic man craves for continuous action and the tamasic mind to laziness, procrastination and sleep. But what about sattva? Does it not generate a pure type of activity leading to happiness? This is very true, but the sattvic mind attaches itself to this very purity and becomes addicted to it and craves for it when it is absent and delights in it when it is present. This is what constitutes its bondage. Because however great the happiness supplied by sattva, yet it falls far short of supreme bliss. And by its attachment to these types of happiness, the sattvic mind can block its progress to that supreme. Attachment to doing good and noble deeds. Attachment to going to many, many places of worship. Attachment to reading enlightening literature and so on. All these are very worthy, no doubt. But even they act as a subtle bondage. Insidiously, this attachment acts as a block to the final leap into that which is beyond all gunas. Tamas can be likened to an iron fetter, rajas to a silver chain, and sattva to a golden one. But a chain is a chain. Whatever the material out of which it is made up of, and the one who wants to attain liberation has to break all three fetters. The Atman, though unbound, yet concentrates its consciousness on the results of these gunas, and thus imprisons itself, as it were, in the outward actions of life and forgets its own greater heritage. In order to be liberated, we must go above these gunas and return to that power of the divine within us. Transcending the qualities which are the cause of the body, the embodied person liberates himself from birth, death, dotage, and suffering, and wins immortality. When we hear this advice of the Lord, we will no doubt be compelled to ask whether a cutting off from the gunas would not also imply a cutting off of all action. Since the Atman cannot act 
by itself. It can act only through the modes and mechanisms of nature. Yet though the Lord insists on freedom from the gunas, he also insists on the necessity for action. How is this dilemma to be solved? Here we must remember that the Lord does not insist on action done with desire. In fact, the stress in the Gita in every chapter is on action done without desire for the fruit. It is the desire for the fruit which is the most pertinent factor in the soul's bondage in nature. And by abandoning it and acting in the light of the desireless spirit's uninvolvement in the lower forms of nature, as a faultless instrument of the supreme will alone, can the Jivatma rise to its complete spiritual structure. Ignorance is the result of tamasic action, pain the result of rajasic action. The pain of reaction, of disappointment and dissatisfaction due to the impermanence of the fruits it has desired and achieved. This is the lot of rajas. But even sattvic action, rightly resolved with the achievement of pure fruits, should be abandoned, says the Lord. For so long as sattva is entangled with rajas and tamas, there is always a fear of falling. There is always an insecurity. Even if the sattvic man has given up the desire for fruit, there may be attachment to the, to the nature and pure quality of the work itself, either for its own sake, which is actually a blend of rajas with sattva, or due to a subject, subjugation of the nature of the work, which though good in itself, is done as a routine, like the many rituals which the sattvic man keeps doing. This is the tamasic bond, or as mentioned earlier, the bondage may be the purely sattvic bondage of the work which is done because of its pure quality. And this causes a powerful bond on the virtuous man. Hence the Gita says to give up all action to the Lord himself and be only the desireless instrument. Arjuna immediately asked 
for the signs of such a man who has risen above the three gunas. For Arjuna's sake, the Lord has many times given ten portraits of the enlightened man, the liberated man, the Siddhapratnya, the Karma Yogi, the Bhakta, and now he portrays the Guna Pita. But what can one say of the qualities of a man who has given up all qualities? What can be said of the color of a perfect piece of crystal? In itself, it is sheer brightness and clearness and lightness. But it can dissolve into a glorious spectrum of colors when the bright light of the sun passes through it. Yet that also fades, leaving it in its own crystalline beauty. So also is the man who has risen above the gunas. He neither desires the presence of the gunas, nor does he oppose them. The equality, which is the hallmark of the liberated person, which has been stressed in all the chapters, is the primary quality of the Gunapita. He initiates no action and leaves all work to be done by the Gunas. Sattva, Rajas and Tamas may rise in his outer mental and physical activities, but he does not rejoice when they come nor does he shrink from their operation or cessation. His consciousness is fixed on the divine, and from that supreme state he is unaffected by the powerful movements of Prakriti. Like the sun shining above the play of the clouds, he sees the gunas of Pragriti rotating and revolving perpetually, never resting in themselves, even for a moment in harmony. He sees the whole universe as constituted of these three gunas, the building blocks of the cosmos. He realizes that the whole of life is a drama played by these characteristics of Prakriti and remains a disinterested witness of the cosmic drama which Prakriti enacts for her Lord. Such a man is indeed liberated. He regards sorrow and happiness alike. To him, a piece of gold, a clod of mud, and a stone are of equal value.
praise or blame, honor or insult, mean the same to him. He has no differentiations between friends, enemies, or well-wishers, for he sees only the supreme in all these roles, donning the threefold cloak of the gunas of Prakriti and enacting the cosmic drama. So why should he shun one and adore the other? The difference of the Gita's teaching from other Advaitic texts is that the picture of the liberated self does not end with the passionless, indifferent, and unattached soul untouched by the modes of nature, completely absorbed in the bliss of the Brahman. It presents the portrait of the eternal devotee, the Bhakta, adoring the cosmic beloved, the Purushottaman, in and through his creation, in every creature, whether human, animal, or divine, constantly engaged in acting for him, mentally engaged in thinking only of him, faithful to him and only him through all the vicissitudes of life. Such a man is qualified for attaining the immutable Brahman, says the Lord. In the final verse of this chapter, the Lord as the Purushottama declares himself to be the home of the imperishable Brahman, of immortality, eternal righteousness, and of infinite bliss. Hari Om Om Asadoma Sadgamaya Tamasoma Jyotir Gamaya Mrityorma Mridangamaya Om Shanti 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 From the unreal lead me to the real, from darkness to light, and from death to immortality. Om, peace, peace, peace.
Редактор 